We have clearly started out the fall beautifully with Dr. Frank serenading us. Thank you. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship that you'll find printed in your bulletin. Oh God, the nations have laid Jerusalem in ruins. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? For the glory of your name. In gratitude, let us worship God. Join me in the prayer of the day. You are our rock and our strength, O God, and in you we find our assurance. You defend us in the midst of adversity. You protect us from ultimate harm. You humble the mighty with acts that manifest your transcendent power. The lowly you comfort with your tender embrace. We gather this day, saved by your mercy. Hear now our praises as we herald your greatness and help us heed your call to compassionately caring for others and courageously choosing obedience. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. When I was a boy, I loved this time of year because when the first week of school was done, 
I usually still had an A. <laughs> but it was very difficult to retain that. By the second week, a homework assignment had been missed. I could tell I was on a downward slide. And I kind of feel that way as I come to prayers of confession, needing God's grace to get me through and maintain the A of forgiveness. And with that in mind and that attitude, corporately we confess our sins. God of compassion and mercy, hear us as we make our confession. Christ preaches repentance. We do not heed his call. Your new day is proclaimed. We dwell on the past. We do not turn from our evil ways, nor do we sacrifice those treasures that give us status. We say we obey you, but our deeds betray us. By your grace, renew us and cleanse us of sin. Amen. Hear the good news. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As we turn from our old ways and respond with faith to Christ's call, we receive the assurance that we are God's beloved children. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. lesson for today is a continuation of Jesus speaking in parables. He's been doing this for a couple of chapters at this point. Last week, we heard him telling the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. We didn't read it, but we alluded to the lost son, all of which were found with God's grace. But this week, we hear from Luke 16, and I invite you to hear God's parabolic word to each one of us. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now? Now that my master is taking my position away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? A hundred jugs of olive oil? Take your bill and slice it in half so that you now owe 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred containers of wheat? 
And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's my joy to invite our young people forward. Come on, folks. Come tell me about this first week of school. How is settling in? Preschool, elementary school. How's it been? Nice dress, Cassie. Robbie, did you like the welcome back picnic that your mom ran? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Cammie and Reese, was it good to see all your classmates? Lots of fun, lots of fun. Great to see the Genicaicuses. How's St. Louis? Pretty cool? Glad to see it. Oh my goodness! We have a Fagan sighting. This is wonderful. Congratulations. Wilson's, how was Allendale, Columbia? Life okay? Good. Glad to hear it. Good morning, Will and Lily. Good to see you guys. Good morning. Good to see you back, Kendra. Life is good. What a great group of people. Okay, folks. We have Jesus telling his disciples about a parable in Luke 16. This is the first of many in Luke 16 where he's going to talk about the responsible stewardship of money. Did you guys find it a little difficult to understand what Jesus was trying to say in this parable? Yeah, it was kind of confusing because why would Jesus commend the dishonest manager, the dishonest manager? Why is Jesus saying, good job, dishonest manager, for acting shrewdly? It's puzzling to you, it's puzzling to me, it's puzzling to people who study the Bible for a long time. And I want to tell you that that's the nature of some of God's teachings. They have to be gone back over and back over to be understood because God loves us and God wants us to grow. And when we dive into Scripture, the things that we thought we knew, our assumptions are challenged. And God in that challenging changes us in different ways at different points in our lives. That's why last week, Mr. Kunkel was here to give third graders their Bibles. You guys got your own Bible. Four-year-olds got their, get their Bibles at the beginning of the new year. And this day, we're going to give our eighth graders their very own Bibles. Now, it used to be that we gave the the Bibles to the 12th graders when they were graduating so that they would have them to go off to college. But a very astute leader in our church said, no, 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 I want my Bible sooner so that from the time I go to confirmation class, I have this 
Bible that has study tools in it, and it's going to help me to understand what God's saying in these confusing passages. So Miss Emily Wilborn, who was a youth elder, went to the Christian Ed Committee and said, we should change this, and here's why. Her argument was listened to. It was agreed upon. Christian Ed took it to session, and session said, absolutely, that makes sense. And so last year we changed our practices. Did you know a church can change? Yeah, it's possible. It can. We changed our practices. So now eighth graders are going to get their Bibles. But before they do, and before you watch them do that, what lesson are we supposed to take from this very confusing parable? Any ideas? Anybody hear anything that they think they could figure it out? Okay, your blank stares don't surprise me. Not at all. Let's take a look at what Jesus himself said at the end of the passage. It was really simple. He he sums it up saying, No slave can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. God talks a lot about wealth or money or the things that get in the way of our relationship with God in the Bible. And Jesus talks a lot about wealth or money or the things that get in in the way of our relationship with God. What we're told by Jesus is that we're to love God seek God, and serve God. We're not supposed to love wealth, seek wealth, and serve wealth. It's more important that we find a way to show God that we love God as much as God loves us. You guys remember when you were up here as four-year-olds and you sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. Right? The Bible tells me so. God loves us that much. So when we serve God... And we live out the great commandment to know, to love the Lord your God with art, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love every neighbor as yourself. When we live out the great commandment, we show forth the fruits of the Spirit. And these are really great fruits. They're better than bananas. They're better than apples. They're better than anything you could ever have. They are peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, Kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control. Well, that humble, that's a good one. It's in that idea of meekness. It says that you're willing to be led just as a cult might be led by God. Humble would have been a good idea. Well done, Mr. Jonikaikis. It's captured in that idea of meekness, right? Good things to have fruity about. Would you like to take a fruit with you to remember how to be fruity? I've got some fruit treats here, and parents, they're non-allergenic, I promise. So if you guys will go this way over towards Mr. Fagan, you'll all get some fruit treats, and I'm going to invite forward our 8th graders to receive their Bibles. Young people here, 8th graders here. Since Mr. Janikaikis, you knew what we were figuring out. Do you want to pass that around and gently let everybody, gently let everybody, you hold that? Eighth graders, I would love it if you would come up on the stairs. Look at this great assemblage. Now, friends, we are going to have the largest eighth grade confirmation class that we have had in six years. And they're all here, ready to go forth. Rachel, hold the basket for me. Make certain everybody gets one. 
These particular Bibles, friends, are really great for a lot of reasons. Now, you guys remember your third grade Bibles, that adventure Bible that you got? That was, a, that was a really responsible translation of the Bible. This Bible is a translation of the NRSV. Stick around, guys. Have a seat. Have a seat. You're going to watch the eighth graders. Have a seat. Saban, we need you. Have a seat. Have a seat, buddy. You'll go into the kingdom in a second. These eighth grade Bibles are particularly special because not only do they have the text in the NRSV translation, which is exactly what all of the congregants have in their pew Bibles, but it has really great notes. So that as you read even this parable that sounded so confusing this morning, it'll tell you what to expect. Pretty cool, huh? I'm loving it. So, Mr. Canham, your very own, dedicated to you. Ms. Dykeman, your very own, dedicated to you. Where's Austin? There she is, beautiful. Very own, dedicated to you. Ashley, right there. Gorgeous. Miss Gracie, bibbidi bobbidi bibbidi bobbidi boo. You betcha, hon. By the way, she did play that part in one of the plays, and she did a marvelous job. So bibbidi bobbidi bibbidi bobbidi boo. Miss Henry, Miss Henry, Miss Henry. Mr. Lee, you're going to make me trip? Seriously? Good heavens. Good heavens. Now, if you haven't already figured this out, almost a a fourth of the class is the Oldfield triplets. So, Emily, Sadie, and Owen, grab these guys for me. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to steal this one. Hold on. Owen. Sadie. Thank you, darling. Caitlin. Thank you. All right. Emma. You bet. Last but certainly not least, how could we ever have... Mr. Wilson, do you get sick of having to be the last one? Is there, are there any Y's or Z's in your classes ever, ever place? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. <laughs> Friends, don't we have a great 8th grade confirmation class? This afternoon, I get to take them out to Camp Arrowhead, and we're going to string them up on the climbing tower, and we're going to build some team-building characteristics, and everybody's going to be in this like musketeers, all for one and one for all, right? And then, in June, you get to see them again. The first Sunday in June of 2017 is Pentecost Sunday, and Pastor Bruce does an amazing job of dedicating each one of these individuals with special gifts that have been, will, be, will be identified over the course of this year. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to send you all off into the kingdom feeling fruity, ready to show the gifts and fruits of the Spirit, and I'll look forward to seeing you guys in the chapel at 1130. All right? Let's pray. God in heaven, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this bevy of young people reminding us of your grace and showing us your love. Help us to find a way to understand you better. Help us to want to love you and know you and serve you in such a way that we can be fruity people. We pray this all in confidence because we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Calmly, calmly have a great time in the kingdom, guys.
My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my people from afar and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? is past. The summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people I am hurt. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people.
I am so glad you all are back. Our epistle lesson is Paul writing to Timothy. This is his first letter, the second chapter, and I want you to understand the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul loved Timothy. Paul saw Timothy as more than a disciple or a follower. He thought about him as tenderly as he would think of a son. He wanted Timothy to do well, to understand what it was to be completely taken in by the love of Jesus, and to have the ability, no matter what, to share that love. So with that in mind, I invite you to hear the loving teaching of Paul to Timothy, of God to each one of us. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Because we were regaled at the beginning of our worship service with an extended prelude, we didn't have Randy Reinhardt helping us with all the announcements that are in the bulletin. So I want you to turn your attention there for a moment and just look at all the fabulous things that are happening in this upcoming week. Be aware that Rod Froman is here to teach. Be aware that we have any number of deacon events coming up. Be aware that the penny pincher is happening. And so Liz Mahalso and Kay Saxon and several other people are waiting in the fellowship hall to sign you up for a slot. It's not just finding the best deals because somebody else's trash is your treasure. It's also the fellowship that happens when you serve together. So please come and enjoy. A man dies and he goes to heaven. He encounters Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter says to him, well, this is how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you've done in your life, and if it merits it, I'll tell you how many points that'll get you. When you reach 100 points, you get in. Are you ready? Okay, says the man. Well, I was married for 50 years to the same woman, and I never cheated on her, even in my heart. I worked hard and was able to provide for her and our three children, and eventually for the six grandchildren. Peter said, that's wonderful. Three points. (laughs) Three points? Okay, um, well, I went to church every Sunday, and I faithfully supported the ministries of my church. I gave in my time and talents and treasures. That's great. Glad to see it. We need more of that. One point. I started a food pantry, and I made certain that homeless veterans had the resources they need. That's great. Two points.
points. Are you kidding me? At this rate, the only way that I'm going to make it into heaven is by the grace of God. Bingo! A hundred points! Come on in! Stories of meeting Peter at the pearly gates are part of our human mythology because they address our concern. All of us have this concern about being judged and the fear that we're all going to be found wanting in one way or another. Our very own Bill Gavitt used to regale the senior highs with his stories about Grace, this lovely character who had binders and binders of our lives. And when you went to the pearly gates, she would open up your binder and show you the gold pages for when you had done great things in your life. Each of us hoped to hear from God, as the servant in the parable of the talents did. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. We all want that. But if truth were to be told, if we all were to get what we really deserve, we'd all be dancing in Dante's Inferno. On the face of things, our parable for today might sound as if it were a tutorial from Jesus on how to very shrewdly ensure our receiving a good accounting of our lives. But commentators will tell you that this Bible passage is confusing. And our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah is just as confusing. That's why I wanted you to think of it as a three-part lament. And I enlisted Bruce to be the weeping prophet Jeremiah. And I enlisted Dr. Frank to be God. Did you have fun doing that? Immense fun. Immense fun. This is good. But God was bewildered. Even after the weeping prophet was trying to tell Judah, come on guys, you're going the wrong direction. Why in the world are you worshiping these idols and these images? All the time the weeping prophet's getting that message out and God's saying, they're still doing it. And at the same time, the people were whining. Why, God, is the summer ended? Why is it so hard? Why is there no salvation? Why aren't you doing what we expect? If there's one thing that I've learned about God, you can expect the unexpected. And particularly in these parables of Jesus, we should expect the unexpected. A wonderful and Bible-savvy congregant texted me this week saying, Hope your message on Sunday is about the parable from Luke because I don't understand it. And he's right. The parable of the shrewd manager is hard to understand. And only Luke tells this parable, which right away tells you that Matthew and Mark said, Oh, I'm not touching that with a ten-foot pole. The chapter begins with, There was a rich man who had a manager. So right away we know we have two characters, and Jesus is the narrator of the parable. The rich man summons the manager, demanding an account of management before the manager is going to let him go. The manager talks to himself and devises a plan so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. The manager then summons the master's debtors and tells them to reduce their bills and pay just a portion. But here comes the really confusing part in verse 8. Jesus says, And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He commended him. Huh? Is Jesus trying to say that we should dishonestly cut corners and cheat the master, in other words, God, out of what we owe God? Really? By no means. 
The dishonest manager is commended not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness, as the rest of the verse says, in dealing with his own generation. The manager, the regular human in this two-character parable of God and humanity, gets God's approval for humanly and imperfectly making the most of a terrible situation for himself and his fellow humans. Let's face it, friends. Life is messy. Bruce, one of the first things you told me when we came together and got to know one another was, guess what? Ministry is messy. Life is messy. So look at it this way. When Jesus started this parable, Jesus called the master the rich man. Started out as the rich man. That moniker can give us negative stereotypes of a rich man. The rich man is probably an absentee landlord, a despot, and a slave driver. This rich man, hearing charges that his manager has been squandering his property, fires him on the spot and demands that the steward should give an accounting of his books. Remember the theme of accounting for our lives at the pearly gates? It's accounting time. Fess up. The manager is given no hearing, no opportunity to respond to his accusers. And that, plus all of our negative images of rich men, evokes our sympathy for the manager. We identify with the manager, the little man, against the big man. We, the hearers, are drawn even into the manager's mind. He says to himself, what will I do? So what the manager decides to do is pull off a sting. How many of you remember that roguish Robert Redford in the sting? Weren't we cheering on this band of petty criminals when they worked together to pull off the sting on the big bad guy? The manager's a rogue, yeah, but even though he's a little unethical, it's more in a fun-loving, mischievous, common man getting back at the rich sort of way. He's a Robin Hood who's stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And just as we applauded for Robert Redford, we're rooting for the manager against his master. So our rat roguish manager takes the master's books and works out a deal with each of his master's debtors. You owe 100 jugs of olive oil? Slice it. You only owe 50 now. You owe 100 sheaves of wheat? Slice it. You only owe 80 now. And when the master finds out about the sting, oh, he's going to be ticked, right? He's a mean master. He'll throw that manager into prison, maybe even worse. Wait a minute. Is that what happened? No. Surprisingly, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That catches us off guard, doesn't it? It causes us to toss out all of our preconceived stereotypes. Maybe the rich guy, maybe he's not so bad after all. And our roguish friend, the manager, was, after all, dishonest and unethical, wasn't he? Who's the good guy in this story and who's the bad guy? Hmm. And even more importantly, what does this say about you and me? We who were cheering on this roguish manager, willing to look the other way while he was doctoring the books. Could it be that you and I are rogues as well? A little bit? Well, if we are rogues, we are very lucky, and we have every reason to be thankful for a merciful master who's willing to commend us when we work together with our fellow rogues to make the most of a messy situation. 
And there are plenty of messy situations. Like Jeremiah, we can lament the state of the messiness of life. Half of the world's population live on less than $2.50 a day. And more than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, less than $1.25 a day. One billion children worldwide are living in poverty. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day from poverty. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water, and diarrhea caused by that inadequate drinking water will kill approximately 842,000 people every year, 2,300 people per day. 2,200 kids, 2,300 people every day. Poverty and unclean drinking water. A quarter of all humans live without electricity, But here's the hopeful thing. Oxfam estimates that it would take $60 billion annually to end extreme global poverty. That sounds like a lot, I know. But that's less than one quarter the income of the top 100 richest billionaires. It's doable. It's a tough choice, but it's doable. So in light of this lament about the messiness of life, and the difficult choices that we in our imperfection face, just as the shrewd manager faced, what do we do? What can we do? I don't know either. Let's try and figure it out together. We can recognize, just like the prophet Jeremiah was hearing from the people, summer is ended. Life isn't as simple as we thought it was, not as black and white. And if we want to, we can do as Paul urges Timothy. Remember with that loving admonition? Paul says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are to be made for everyone so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Thanksgivings for everyone, every one of us. Jenny Stepien had one of those summer has ended moments way back in September of 2006 when her father was brutally murdered. When she and her family arrived at the hospital and realized the inevitable was going to happen, they made the very difficult choice to donate his organs. And they did so through an organization that would allow them, as a family, to keep in touch with the organ recipients. And so out of that, Mr. Sepian's heart was given to Arthur Thomas, a father of four who lived in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and who was facing congestive heart failure. Mr. Thomas wrote a letter to the Stepians and thanked them profusely. And from there, a relationship was forged through ongoing letters and emails and phone calls. But for approximately nine years, neither family discussed the possibility of meeting face-to-face until Jenny Stepien became engaged. And she wondered, who's going to walk me down the aisle? At the advice of her fiancé, she wrote to Arthur. And she asked him if he would be willing to do that. 
He checked with his eldest daughter to make certain that she wouldn't be upset by that. She said, of course not, Dad. And he agreed. There's a lovely picture in the New York Times this summer of Jenny and Arthur after they had walked down the aisle and she had a hand on his heart, her dad's heart. As they walked down the aisle, Arthur said to to Jenny, hold my wrist, feel your dad's beating heart. Arthur Thomas's Thanksgiving led to a peaceable life in all dignity and godliness. By contrast, what if we don't recognize our common summer is ended situation and the messiness of this life? What happens? Well, let's play out what happened to Jeremiah's people, those to whom he had been prophesying, but they weren't listening because the message was too tough. Pastor Bruce read for us Jeremiah's querulous query, Is there no bomb in Gilead? History tells us that Judah was overrun. The people were carted off to Babylon in exile. What might have happened if the people of Judah had listened to the prophet Jeremiah? What if they had done as Paul urges, to give thanks for everyone, to make choices based on God's wisdom found in prayerful conversation with God? What do you think would have happened if the Judean characters had played out that play? What do you think? I don't know either. But we have a clue right here in worship. And you sang it. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is. The mercy of God is available to each one of us. And when we band together, recognizing our mutual roguishness, hey, that could be kind of cute, right? When we band together, and we worship the God who loves us, and we accept the mercy that God wants to offer to each of us, we then can play out that play, that grace. Let's do as Jeremiah warns, as Jesus teaches and Paul urges, to heal our sin-sick souls together, relying, of course, on God's grace. Bingo! 100 points! Come on in! (laughs) Recognizing that the God who loves us and is so very gracious to us only expects our love in return. Let us offer as gift our first fruits, dedicating it with this prayer printed in our bulletin. Eternal source of refuge and trust, our days are filled with your abiding presence. We awaken with the dawn filled with your courage. We obediently labor with assurance that you bless the work of our hands. We sleep at peace in the promise of your protection and care. All that we are and all that we do are signs of your benevolent deliverance. Accept now the gifts we choose to bring you as tokens of our unending devotion and use them to further your call to compassionate care throughout the world. Amen.
Several of you have submitted prayer requests, but we have a couple things we want to tell you about. And that is the session was meeting this week, and we really weren't sure what had happened to one of our elders, Melissa Schmidt. We knew that she wasn't there because we were past her due date. She had given birth wonderfully to Abby Lucinda Schmidt. She's doing wonderfully, and Graham is adjusting to being a big brother. And so our congratulations are to Melissa and Derek. This week, uh, John Reinhardt buried his wife Patricia at Whitehaven Cemetery. That happened on Friday. Pat had actually entered the church triumphant on August the 12th after a very lengthy illness. But we'll want to be remembering um, uh, John as he now becomes a widower. And this week, Kelly Travis lost her mother in Saratoga. Uh, Kelly uh, was one of our deacons, and um, or still is. Uh, she made the trip with her family to Saratoga. And she'll miss her mother terribly because she talked to her mother on the phone almost every day. We've been asked to pray for Patty Cook. And we've been asked to pray uh, for Margaret Reiser, sister of Ginny Voorhees. We've been asked to pray today for Vincent Ward. And we have been asked to pray for Mary Roots. Mary as you know, is, um, has been a longtime member. She, for years, set up for Logos, and uh, she's beginning to fail some. And we've been asked to pray for Molly McBride and her family. Many prayer requests come. We do have a prayer team that meets weekly and lifts up all of these in a more personal way than we can do publicly. We have something else very important to do today. And so uh, I'm going to ask that um, our church's secretary come on up. She's still the secretary here. And so, Doris, you can come on up, and I'm going to ask that Dave Ferris kind of accompany you. And you, and Dave has a gift or two to present to you. Doris, in a very real way, and I, I hope that you will take this correctly, you've kind of been my mother in the office. Yeah, you make sure I get to places on time, you follow through on things that I forget, you give me the reminders of things. Um, when I came as a pastor, there were two secretaries, and this congregation thought, well, we should reduce the number from two to one. Uh, it's because we now do things electronically and a little differently. And nobody knows that more than you do because you've watched how things have, have changed. One of the things that you bring is not just your skill as a secretary and your compassionate kindness, but you know all of these people. You've talked to them on the phone. You've greeted them as they come in the office. And one of the things that's so special is this is just not your work. This has been your ministry. 
and we've come here today to celebrate that as you face retirement. I'm going to turn things over to Dave because uh, Dave has a gift or two for you. And then I want to remind you, you've got your family here. When Bruce Frank starts all of that nice organ music at the end, we want you to head over toward Fellowship Hall because we have a cake over there for you and uh, we want you to help cutting it. Uh, You'll make sure that the pieces are right. You do that kind of thing. (laughs) You you make sure that things go right. And then, yeah, and then uh, we'll be able to talk to you and greet you there. Dave? Doris, I'm merely standing here for all the people. We couldn't put them all up here. We could, we would. And I was told by a mouse that Doris doesn't really want to make a speech. But I can very easily give her a speech. Every time I call the church office, this is what I hear. Good morning. Pittsburgh First Presbyterian Church. Doris, how can I help you? And immediately I know the world was right, they was good, and I hear this wonderful voice. And every time I walk in the church office, the first face I see is a smile at the desk. Doris, good morning, how are you? And I feel welcome, in part, as I know all of you do. So we really want to thank you for that. We have a couple of ways of doing that. First of all, we found there's a jewelry store down the street that has okay stuff. (laughs) We'd like to give you that first. You're going to need to untie this to open. It's actually yeah, pretty, pretty bound down. So. I'll hold that for you. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. Lovely cross. It's a, it's a chain with some uh, small diamonds. Okay, I'll let you fight that back. Yes. Or, so you also understand it's fashion week some places. But, so we got you a purse. It's not one you carry. It's one for you and Jim to use. And these are contributions from members of the congregation for the two of you to use as you choose. So I'll let you take this with you. And can we all thank thank Doris? Dave will escort you down. Christians have lots of a difference of opinion. If you don't think so, you just wait till the second Tuesday in November. But there's one place where Christians are together, and that's when they come together to pray. Please join me in prayer. Giving God, we are a gathering of your grateful children assembled here today in honor of you and of your message of hope and love and forgiveness Especially today do we thank you for the gift of Doris, all that she has meant to us as a secretary, for her work and her kindness and her faithfulness. We thank you. She has been a gift to us, O God. 
We thank you that because Jesus was willing to eat and drink with sinners, we can too. We pray that we will not be trapped by illusions of our respectability, but with honesty that we will dare to see the truth of our motives and our actions. We pray that we as the Church of Christ will be not so content to live by rules as though they could save us, but by the movement of your Spirit. We pray for new light for those who expect to find in church a list of stable standards which, when obeyed, will assure them of salvation. We pray for those who have yet to trust, though they cannot comprehend the extent of your love. We pray for those who have special needs, those who rejoice in the birth of a new child, those who grieve with the loss of a family member they love, those who struggle in relationships that need particular care. We pray as well for those bored and disenchanted with faith that they will meet an outrageous Christ. Gracious God, teach us to be committed to the call you place upon us. And when we are tempted to waste the opportunities for ministry and service that come our way, call us again back to ourselves so that our doing may match our praying when we use the words Jesus taught us to use. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Yes, it's messy out there, but there's every reason to rejoice. And so may we, with the thanksgiving that we send, Doris, send each of ourselves and everyone in God's kingdom that same gratitude. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.